Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And here we are in the midst. You've caught us between trips. Oh, no. We're we're at our at-home studio, but just for a blink of an eye. We have flown in from Florida and enjoying the good weather in Chicago. And in just a couple days, we fly out to Singapore for two months. You weren't kidding about the weather. We were so shocked when we got home to Chicago. It was warmer (laughs) than where we left Florida. We couldn't believe it. Of course, last last month we left you. uh, We were going to go in the motorhome, and we were going to go uh, slowly to Florida. And then once we're in Florida, we were going to visit our lot for a few days. And then we are coming back to Chicago and then off to Singapore. But did that happen? It did. We enjoy the motorhome. We do. Um, the only thing I didn't enjoy about this trip <laughs> is we left two weeks too soon, oh. uh, which was forced by the visiting calendar that we had to see my family members in South Carolina. Maybe we talked about this last month. I can't remember. Uh, my sister and my niece live n- right next to beautiful campgrounds, and I know a lot of you use your RVs to visit friends and family, and to me there's no better way to do that because you are not with each other 24-7, which is especially good when you haven't been with somebody or seen somebody for two years. Um, It's nice to be able to withdraw to your own space, eat your own food, not bother your hosts with having to do a lot of linens and towels and all that stuff. So we really like visiting people in a motorhome in an RV, and I know that many of you do too. But when we got to my sister's, the beautiful park right by her house was about to close for a major renovation for a year. And so that was why we were only home for five nights, I think, when we got back from Norway, and we were off and running to go south. So as we feared and as we expected, as we left our area, which was still very nice summer weather, it got hotter and humider and hotter and humider. By the time we got to Florida, it, it was, was really very hot and humid. humid but, but there were no hurricanes, so thank goodness for that. Well, we want to thank you for tuning in. We are on episode 223 of the RV Navigator for November 2023. Wow, just a few episodes. And this is going to be an episode which starts in Florida and ends in uh, Illinois. Between because, trips. Because that's where we are. <laughs> But we got, we did get to Florida, and we got to our lot, which we are in Titusville. And because we hadn't been there for a whole year, things were a little bit in disarray. There were parts of our driveway that you could no longer see because there were so many weeds growing out between the pavers. And we had gotten a nasty note from our association saying, do something about this. We felt kind of guilty about it. And... We tried to do something about this, but when you're dealing with a forest, uh, a little squirt of Roundup just doesn't do it anymore. And I tried digging some of them out by hand. Uh, The soil was pretty nice and soft because they'd had a fair amount of rain, but I just couldn't see ever getting ahead of that. 
So luckily, we found somebody local who had uh, a purported fix for this. They came with a nuclear power <laughs> washer. A power washer. And got all those weeds out of our driveway. We have pavers. Yes. And to get them out between the cracks and the and the pavers was kind of a problem. And over the years, those cracks used to be filled with sand, um, although weeds would happily grow in sand too. But we and the previous owner had probably pressure washed most of that out of the cracks. It was so just a mess. it was just weeds. So they also applied a new topping of sand in all of the spaces and then some guaranteed for three years <laughs> squirty stuff. We'll see. Uh, it's unbelievable for the plants. Uh, I mean, they just grow 365 days a year, and we're just not used to that. We got down there, and it was like a jungle. And then, of course, all of the plantings around um, our lot that has the little building on it, um, a sort of a home kind of a building, uh, were not put in by us, um, but that's in good in a way because they're nice and big now, and it looks like a well-landscaped, finished place. But every plant that they planted had huge thorns on it. I'm talking some of them are like two inches long. And, of course, they needed to be pruned and shaped and, well, and tamed the as well. Away. So, yeah, that's why they have the thorny ones. Cause the deer, <laughs> these, these plants are not stupid. The deer come and eat everything They want else. you to get out of the way. They don't want you to cut them back. So some of these palm trees are considerably taller than I am. So I have this giant rod thing with a lever <laughs> on the end. And when I cut the leaves, they fall on my head sometimes. So my... My face was bleeding. My arms were bleeding. Occasionally, I would a take mess. a step after they had fallen on the ground and step on a thorn. I looked like I'd been in a war. Um, so this place of recreation and fun turned into a, a lot of work. <laughs> but I have to say, patting ourselves on the back, by the time we left, it looked mighty good. Yes, we put a new roof on our building. We made the pavers right. We uh, Our motorhome actually worked pretty well. Except that as we got further south, the air conditioning, the dash air, which is the one run by the engine, kind of pooped out. And it started out up here that it was 10 degrees below the outside temperature. And by the time we got to Florida, it was the air coming out of the vents was the same temperature as the outside air, which was about 85 or 90. So we knew something was wrong. And this is a real question with Class A's. The air conditioners are always problematic because the compressor's in the back and the condenser's in the front, and there's a lot to go wrong between... And never the twain shall be. Yeah, something about that. We have had our dash air fixed at least four or five times. And every time after they fix it, it works for... A while. A while. But, and it's cost uh, five or $600 each time. So I took it over to get it uh, examined and do you need dash air for $2,700? And, and when <laughs> What's you, it worth? When your strategy is to follow 70 degree temperatures, which is what we normally try to do, you don't really need the air much at all. But we decided after putting a little post on Facebook uh, in the RV Navigator website, we decided that uh, the consensus was to get it fixed. Take care of your stuff. Yes. Uh, for the resale value and everything, people kind of said, well, you need to have the dash air. I should mention that if you're a Class A, that you can run your generator and run the house air, the house air and keep the place cool even while you're driving down the road. That's pretty good. This is a, an option. Yes. And the dash air, frankly, is not all that powerful because you've got the whole inside of the RV to keep cool. Although... 
it does do a nice job for the driver and the passenger if you have it blowing right on you. So our Dash Air on a Class A is somewhat different than if you own a C or you have a truck or something. So we decided to get it fixed, and it was uh, ex- very expensive because we had to buy a compressor. And it really wasn't the compressor that was so expensive. It was the labor. $1,800 in labor. Labor, labor. labor really is just... Work- from eight to yeah, five. Yeah, they, they they got it done in a day, but whoa, they had to work hard, and it was uh, very expensive. They charged $180 an hour uh, for labor, and I don't know if that's typical, but whoa, I would like to hear your experiences with this. Anyway, we had it, we got it done, and so now, so the big three big projects we we finished. Just one, thing, one thing that's very nice about the great outdoors where we own our sites and where we stay is that there is a repair facility actually on the grounds. Um, we are camped so close to it, Ken could walk back and forth multiple times yes, check during them out, the day. See what the guys are doing. To make sure they were really earning their $189 <laughs> an hour um, and see how they were doing. And um, that's very nice, especially when you're getting a rig repaired while you're trying to live in it. Um, I'm also hearkening back to a camping van we had where we had oh. no roof air at all. We relied solely on the dash air, and it just could not keep up. I remember sewing kind of a cloth that I would put down put like, behind like, myself yeah. as the passenger to kind of confine right, the coolness right. to the yeah. front part the of the van. van. 1976 Chevy. So um, the, those were the days when we were young and poor, um, so I'm happy that we can afford this outrageous fee to get our air conditioning fixed. And I should mention that uh, the resort that we are in and the repair facility, they also have a consignment sales lot. We're always amazed that this lot is so busy. They've sold almost 100 RVs this year. They don't sell new. They only sell consignment or ones that they purchased. And if you are in the market for a used RV, either a trailer or a fifth wheel. All different kinds. All different kinds. They have a wide variety and constant turnover. You might want to go to eaglespriderv.com. And take a look at what they are selling. From this our is, point of view, there. This is not a commercial. We don't do commercials. <laughs> so but, we're, we're just saying what we think. Yes, uh, and they apparently treat people right, and they have great turnover. So if you are in the in the market for an RV, or if you want to sell your RV, this would be a place to consider. Um, and they take care of all the details. So we have left our car, the one we tow, and the motorhome <laughs> in Florida. Um, this means that Ken will have a little less winterizing I, work to do. And I only have one home. car while we're here. Oh, I no. know. I, I took the car out yesterday. I know. I was stuck here at home. I went to meet my college chums from uh, way back when. And you were home all alone without wheels. which was, was, And I didn't have my bike either, so I couldn't that even do that. Beautiful too. day, 65 and 70 degrees, and I couldn't go anywhere oh. other than walking. But yeah. the trees were beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I should mention that it is interesting that most of the time when we leave home, we empty the refrigerator, and our home refrigerator is left turned off with the doors open. And, that, of course, when we came home, we turned it on, but then I said, we don't have anything to put in it. <laughs> Usually we unload the RV and put all the stuff back in the refrigerator. But now 
we have nothing in it. So inventory control has been sadly lacking in the food department. So what are we having for dinner? Well, I don't know. <laughs> There's nothing in the refrigerator. And today for breakfast, we found out we didn't have any breakfast stuff, so we had <laughs> peanut butter pretzels. <laughs> we did have coffee, though. That was good. That's because uh, I bought that from Amazon. It's just so hard to keep track of all the details when your mind is mostly going to the fact that you are about to head off on a wonderful two-month vacation to Asia where you better bring what you need because you might not be able to buy it over there. So we're packing for this upcoming trip and we thought maybe we'd share just a few ideas about our packing. First of all, our suitcases. Primary concern these days for suitcases is light weight. weight. Our suitcases weigh in the order of eight or nine pounds. And when you can only bring 50 and that's pretty much the limit these days. You have a problem because you don't want to take up too much of that weight with a hard-sided suitcase that weighs 15 pounds. I really love my hard-sided suitcase. Yeah. But it's sitting there in the basement. So now we have 30-inch rolling duffels that are basically uh, soft-sided luggage. And I found this to be quite viable. And at times we've been able to get them cheaply at um, Costco or Sam's, but you know how those stores are. Sometimes they have an item, sometimes they but, don't. And because they are soft-sided and fabricy, they are not as durable maybe as a hard-sided suitcases, but they don't cost very much either. So we keep an eye on their condition, just replace them every so often. And ours have two wheels, not four, which is fine, and a handle, and a hard shell on the bottom that's about four inches deep. Mm -hmm. So it provides some stability. It's not like a soft duffel bag. Because those are hard to keep balanced yeah. when you're packing. And we've been using these for at least five years. At least. And and by the way, the one I just bought, which I'm taking for the first time, is from Amazon Basics. Oh. Which is interesting. Mm -hmm. If you wait long enough, Amazon will make, under its own brand name... Well, almost, undercut some they will, poor person who... Well, I, and it wasn't being that it, was, uh, that it was undercut. It was that it had all the features that I was looking for. I look for outside straps. I look for lots of pockets. I look for quality fabric that will not rip. So big, you want rips, big, big wheels that big won't wheels. collapse on you in the middle of a cobblestone yes, street. Yes, and that uh, has a nice strap so I can carry it over my shoulder. Some of them are backpacks. Uh, the ones we have are not backpacks. And you can buy bigger ones, but interestingly enough, the 30-inch size is plenty big is because that'll easily carry more than 50 pounds. And if it's bigger, you just put more stuff in it. And it's 50 pounds, whether it's full of camera equipment, can, or lots of shoes, Martha. Um, <laughs> it always weighs 50 pounds. And on uh, this trip, we have, we're doing uh, something really spectacular because we are taking little duffel bags and our rolling carry-ons and we're going to be leaving those in Singapore fully loaded with extra stuff because we are going on a cruise from Singapore but prior to that on a land trip and the land trip requires us to be at 44 pounds. Oh. So for the land trip we are going to be leaving some stuff and this is a good idea if you have a multiple pronged trip that you leave a suitcase or a duffel or whatever in the hotel, in Singapore in this case, and 
you stay there on both ends of the trip, and so you come back, and your stuff is waiting for you that will be used on the cruise. Because on the cruise, we have virtually unlimited amount of uh, capacity to... In the cabin. In the cabin. So that works out pretty well. So we're going to leave a bunch of stuff in Singapore at the hotel and then come back to the hotel at the end of the tour in order to pick up our stuff and, and head to the cruise. Now, this requires a little bit of extra... Planning. <laughs> well, not just planning, but Thoughts. but the and flights and stuff. We and then I'm going to get to Singapore and repack everything that I'm packing here. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. But she is up to it, ladies and gentlemen. She's going to make it. Now, I use, when I pack, I use packing cubes. Lots of people do. Yes. Packing cubes allow you to compress stuff and allows you, when you're doing a land trip like this one, where you're in and out of hotels every couple days, it allows you to pack and unpack your suitcase very quickly and to find stuff because all my packing cubes have labels on them. Now, some people do it by outfits, so you put one uh, Tuesday's outfit in one cube. I do it by, I put shirts in one, pants in another, shorts in another, t-shirts in another, and they're all labeled so that I can just find stuff, so that I can just take and repack my suitcase very quickly. Another big advantage of the duffel bag that I have, or that we have, I guess, is that it has a top and a bottom, and they're separate. So on short stays at hotels, I can put the the things that I will be using on the top and then not even bother to open the bottom. When we're on a land trip where you're moving every few days, we never unpack. It's just not worth the time. Yes, but I can quickly take Get my cubes out. And, and now need. Martha doesn't use cubes. No. For a long time, since we've been traveling, I've been using really cheap plastic food bags, not Ziplocs, but the kind that are really thin and you would need a zip tie if you were going to put food in them. And I find that many of the clothes that I take, if I fold them neatly, just fit in one of those bags. And those bags slide very easily so that I can pull one of them out without the rest of the clothes coming with it. They are uh, see-through so I can see exactly what is inside. And basically my strategy is um, pants and shoes in the bottom compartment and shirts on the top compartment. Basically. So we have very different strategies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should also mention that if you decide to buy packing cubes, uh, get them with mesh so that you can see through them, see what's inside of them. Uh, they make. I've seen several, and I've actually bought some, that have a compression zipper, which I don't like very well. Uh, and the ones that I bought didn't have any see-through. They were... The, the fabric was so uh, you had opaque. to unzip them every time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, even though it had a label on it, it, yeah. it, it sometimes you want to see what's on the inside. Right. So mine have now mesh tops so that I can see what's inside of them. And another good strategy when you're traveling with someone um, near and dear is to cross-pack and maybe trade a packing cube of yours with some of my plastic bags so that <gasps> one of our plastic bags in my suitcase if oh, one no. of our suitcases is lost you're not just um wearing the clothes you wore on the plane and have nothing else to put on defensive packing is how i think of it and of course now that we have air tags we certainly encourage you to get some we've talked about those before yes. i think um, sure way to keep you, an eye you might track have of where a better your bags are. way to get your bag back because you can tell the airline where it is but don't assume that everything will arrive when you think it should and of course things like drugs um as we have aged in, in years and had more and more experiences, I find part of my bag turning into a, a major pharmacy because 
Uh, there are many things that are so much easier to deal with if you just have what you need in your suitcase and don't have to find a pharmacy and pantomime that you are having diarrhea so somebody can, can give you the right thing that you need. Enough, enough. So, so I'm carrying things like Paxlovid now for COVID. I'm carrying Tamiflu for flu, antibiotics of various sorts that our beloved doctor... And brand new this trip is going to be a tooth repair kit. Oh, yes. We heard about that. Somebody, We got a tip from somebody that if you crack a tooth that you will have a hard time getting it fixed and that you can buy a tooth repair kit. So all these drugs are kind of cutting, so I did. cutting into the space in my suitcase for shoes, but I think it's worth bringing. A lot of people talk about cross-packing, and I'm not going to have slipping bags in my suitcase, and she's not going to have a... No, we could. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not having slippery, so slidey bags sliding around in my... I have to put my plastic bags in a cube? Yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe oh, well, I'll that's do that. That's an idea. I didn't even thought about that. But we <laughs> do I'll kind do of cross-pack because we always carry an extra set of clothes in our carry-ons. And underwear. And shoes. Yes. We carry the whole outfit. Carry it with us. And any drugs that would need a prescription. Yes. That we carry on with us, too. And i got to say that we have never used them. I used the antibiotics. Well, but not because we were delayed, not because we lost our suitcase. No, but we were glad that we could just reach for them and have them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but that's that's and just a convenience C- factor. It's not because patches for seasickness. Yeah, yeah, but that's not because of no. uh, an airline problem. No. And we should mention that these days, airline uh, overhead compartments seem to be getting bigger. We just flew home from Florida on Southwest, and we were surprised that people were bringing on huge suitcases. And they all fit in the overhead bins. Nobody so had to gate check anything. Nobody had to gate check anything. And so the, the planes are coming with bigger compartments, which means that <laughs> these days you can bring a fairly large carry-on. And we have wheeled carry-ons that are 21 inches, which is supposedly the maximum size that will fit in an overhead bin. And then we bring along a little pack Call they call it a purse, purse quotation but marks. for me, I bring along a, like a day pack, which I put under the seat. And we have not had any problems with the airlines giving us grief about this. Now, of course, we're talking And everybody about, else is doing it. And of course, we're talking about um, fairly routine flights. But when you start doing stuff like in Africa where you're oh. flying to a game park or something like that, those planes are teeny tiny. And uh, all bets are off in terms of how you should pack for those because there's very little space for you to put luggage. Yes, and for our land trip that we're, we're doing, we are once again consolidating. We're leaving the, the rolling carry-ons uh, back in Singapore, and we're taking along just a little pack, which we can put upset. under the seat because yeah. that's what we're expecting. On We take four flights, local commuter-type flights, in, in and around Asia, so... And I'm really excited. Are I get, you? I get to go to Anchor Watch. At last. Now, you can expect next month a full report. From you? From me about, <laughs> about how much I enjoyed Anchor Watch. I hope so. The showpiece of this whole trip is Anchor Watt, the largest temple in Asia. Although... Temple complex. Temple complex, of of course. Some of the buildings in this complex were built in the year 1100 and are still in very good shape from what I've seen in the pictures. It's an amazing place. So I am absolutely prepared to be amazed. I have my camera. I have everything ready to go to be amazed. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about RVing. 
I never thought there would be an electric RV that would be our size that would be something that I would really, you know, electric cars, EV cars are really coming along. Coming along and they're although sales are down at the moment, they are really becoming popular. My neighbor who has an EV said that he spent $12 on electricity in the last month. In the last month for, for his, his car. car and he drove like 1,800 miles. So that's a pretty compelling reason to get an electric car. But an electric RV, I don't know. But there is a program on TV that is Jay Leno's Garage. And Jay Leno is... A car guy. A car guy. A real car guy. And, of course, he had a fairly serious... Explosion, explosion. in one of his cars. <laughs> when he was Almost working one of his... Act- burned his face and hands off. I know. I didn't know the program was actually back on the air, but... I saw a link to Jay Leno's garage test of the Tesla 18-wheeler. Wow. So this is a half-hour program or so, which you can get off of YouTube. And, of course, if you'd like to see a link, you can go to the rvnavigator.com website for this month, uh, November 2023, episode 223. And you can see a link to Jay Leno's garage where he tests... The e, 18-wheeler. 18-wheeler. He drove it himself? He drove it himself, uh-huh. and they have pictures of it. Now, Tesla is going big time into commercial trucks. Of course, you know that they have Amazon delivery trucks, and they have... Drones. Uh, <laughs> well, not, <laughs> Delivering not, your drugs. No, I'm, I'm talking about delivery vehicles. The post office is going into EV vehicles. But a big one that would be big enough to run our motorhome, for instance, or tow it, a a trailer like that, uh, it it just never seemed very feasible to me. However, they have the new Tesla truck, which looks like a very sleek 18-wheeler, and of course they were just looking at the tractor, because the trailers are the same trailers that that 18-wheelers use all the time, so they have to be standard connection hookups. So he took this out, and he drove it as a tractor trailer uh, with a fully loaded trailer, and Tesla says that it will go 500 miles on a charge, and that it will charge easily overnight. So I'm thinking, why not? This could. Am I flummoxed? Am I speechless? Yes. Yes, because I never thought that they would be able to have a fully loaded semi trailer that could be pulled by a electric vehicle. Uh-huh. And it's very sleek, and the interior is nice. It's all air conditioned. It's all uh, designed ergonomically for the driver. The driver sits in the middle because he rarely would have a passenger. It has two passenger seats behind, so it's kind of a triangle-shaped compartment. But, wow, 500 miles. Now, I could see us. I mean, that's as far as I would want to drive in a day. And, of course, the campgrounds would have electricity. Now, they'll probably charge you for it. They should. They said that that the average uh, 18-wheeler tractor uses about $200,000 worth of fuel a year, and that the electric prices would be uh, like a tenth of that to charge it. So even if the campground charged you for charging it, and this thing could obviously pull a fifth wheel of any any RV capacity. I am pretty amazed at this. At this there you've is, been hankering over getting it, lithium back batteries for our diesel motorhome. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, but they don't power the... Exactly. And... The interesting thing is they have about 70 of these built and 
Pepsi is using it right now for delivering their products to stores or huh. wherever. Huh. I'm not sure exactly where they're where they're using them, In but California, they, where, are, they are. They are. This is not just. A, where did he do this? In California, someplace, uh, and they they said hills, no problem. The acceleration is great. Cold weather, no problem. Cold weather, no problem. Although I don't know if they've tested that, but uh-huh. they did. Oh no, they they specifically mentioned that because the it's so big and it's used full time that the batteries actually create their own heat. Uh-huh. So that you know, because they're used on a daily basis, yeah. the, the temperature is really not much of an issue. They did not show the battery pack or talk about the battery pack capacity. Huh. I guess the capa- you know the capacity is the number of miles, and five hundred miles would be fine for us. And then if the government gives us a nice tax rebate on top of it. You think they would do that? I don't know. I don't know. Campgrounds, I'm not sure, are really equipped to charge these guys, but it no. would be fun to no. to give this a shot. It's coming. So we've been following the T-Mobile saga of, you know, we bought into T-Mobile and now we are T-Mobile users and we get a pretty good deal. And one of the things they mentioned at the beginning when we first bought them a year and a half ago was that uh, there was going to be satellite connectivity, satellite connectivity on my cell phone? Well, starting in 2023, T-Mobile intends to address this issue through the Coverage Above and Beyond initiative. Wait, 2023? So they already are doing it. Well, that's what's really interesting, is that by the end of this year, they're going to be testing it. Oh, okay. In partnership with SpaceX's Starlink, this collaboration will utilize Starlink satellite network to offer nearly complete coverage across the nation, including in remote areas, Hawaii, parts of Alaska, Puerto Rico, and the territorial waters. Importantly, it will be compatible with most existing smartphones on T-Mobile's network, eliminating the need for customers to purchase new equipment, which is... So we won't need a the d- network dish is, of any sort at all? No. and That's too good to be true. Yeah, this is really too good to be true. Uh, they may charge you extra for the service, but the network is expected to undergo a beta launch by the end of 2023, initially supporting text messaging with plans to introduce voice and data capabilities in the future. However, SpaceX will need to deploy its larger Starlink version 2 satellites set to launch in 2023. For this network to function, this may necessitate alternative launch methods if SpaceX Starship development faces delays. Well, what's really interesting and not mentioned in this article is, is that Elon Musk has decided that the version 2 of the SpaceX satellites is going to be launched starting in December of this year, mm-hmm. and he's planning on over 50 launches of, of the satellites next year so that this service using Starlink version 2 is going to become actually viable in the next year. And we can go to a launch every day of the week at the Great Outdoors. Well, down in in Florida... Does he do them all in Florida? He, has a, he does all the commercial ones. Uh-huh. And down in Florida, they're expecting next year, if you want to come down and see a launch, every two and a half days, there's going to be a satellite launch of of Starlink satellites. Wow. He's done over 50 this year, 
over 80 in the 12 months prior, so that he's got over 5,300 satellites in the air right now, or in the air, in space. It's This is something that's going to become actually viable. I never thought I'd be, I would be able to use my, cell, my standard cell phone for satellite internet or satellite communication. We can camp under trees again? I don't think you're going to need to be... Oh, that'll be very interesting because we've been so careful selecting sites. I've not read. I've not read any reviews of this or anything on, about on it, other than the fact trip. that it's actually coming to fruition. On this latest trip, we stayed in a lot of state parks. The state parks have trees, at least east of the Mississippi. And in all honesty, Starlink has recently gotten rid of its waiting period, so that anybody anywhere in the country can buy a satellite system and install Be- it and use it. Become a customer become a customer. Uh, up until now, you've, there's been a waiting list in high usage areas uh, until the, uh, the capacity became large enough so that they could accommodate everybody. But that apparently there's no longer any waiting list, so you can pay the $600 for the hardware and set it up tomorrow and you'll be ready to go, whether you are a mobile user, an RV type user, or whether you are a home user in the remote areas. She's questioning something. So now I'm confused. I was thinking you were saying that I can just use my cell phone. Oh. Like you, I use it okay. to connect well, to a hotspot. Good point. That I don't need a satellite dish at all. That is a second use. They're, they're piggybacking these two things together. Oh, okay. The cell phone use will be limited, and it's not going to replace cell towers. It's, but it'll be useful in areas where there is no cell phone tower nearby. Mm-hmm. So it, only, it would be kind of a fallback system. But it would give T-Mobile customers service literally everywhere. But if you plan to camp in more developed parts of the country, you don't need a dish anymore then? No, it's, it's, it's no. the cellular data, the cellular service satellite service is not going to replace the, the, the current data service. It just does not have the capacity mm, on yeah. a cell phone. Yeah. Re, well, yeah, <laughs> who knows? The satellite dish, their data service that Starlink offers, which you purchase independently and have an independent contract with them mm-hmm. through Starlink, not through T-Mobile, that service is now virtually anybody can get it any time. You got money, you can have it. You can have it, right. It's $140 or $150 a month and a very high-speed service and available virtually everywhere in the United States. Now, we did not use it. We used the cellular service from T-Mobile on our trip down south, and I was not disappointed in its capacities at all. We regularly had over 100 megabits a second, and... We were able to stream. We were able to do all the things we wanted to do just with our regular uh, T-Mobile hotspot. So, dear listener, what are you going to do? Well, you might want to seriously consider T-Mobile because we, they don't advertise with us. We should quit talking about them in such positive terms. <laughs> well, they did give us free Apple TV and free Netflix. Not free. It was It's included in the monthly plan. So I'm paying for it. Well, obviously, everybody pays for it somehow. But the bottom line here is, is that if you're a traveler and you're traveling to remote areas of the country, it might be worth it to have T-Mobile because you are... Oh, there I go again. <laughs> Commercial over. <laughs> So now we move on to a commercial for your new iPhone. I got the new iPhone 15. Of course you did. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, 
and I'm looking forward to trying it out on, on our upcoming trip because with the new optical zoom in, built into it, it's uh, actually a real contender for good photography, 48 megapixel. Of course, that's primarily why I bought it, I think, is, is that it has the camera features that I'm really looking for. So one of the questions you get... Wait a minute. Have you ever missed a new iPhone coming out? I missed the last one. You did? Yeah. Okay. I missed quite a few. Really? I'm not really that dedicated to it. Really? Okay. I don't think I... I don't buy the new... Carry on. But they do come out with new cool cameras. All the time. And they have your once, name... Once a year. They have your name on it She's when they come out. harassed by my wife. <laughs> so, smartphone versus camera. Hmm. What do you think? I carry both, of course. Well, your phone's just always in your pocket. Well, that, that's one of the great things about a phone is it's in your pocket. And now that they have good lenses, the zoom lens, and I really like the wide-angle lens, and the panorama works great. So My medieval phone has a wide-angle lens, and I no, inevitably take a picture of my fingers that are holding the phone. Well, that's one of the problems with a phone. I don't like is that. It's not very ergonomic. It's hard to use. And, of course, holding the screen out in front of you far enough away that you can see the screen is actually a very bad idea because it doesn't promote good good pictures. And when I'm, like, over water or something, I'm always afraid I'm going to drop it. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the issues you have to have. Anyway, I have several links on our RV Navigator website for this month where I have articles about things you want to consider when you are thinking about whether you should have a phone or whether you should have a camera. Of or course, both. Our cameras, the ones that we own, are ones with viewfinders, and I find that to be a real plus. I like to have the camera up at my eye looking through the viewfinder, Amen. and they are EVFs, electronic viewfinders, so that it's a little TV screen, but they're very sharp and they give you a very good idea of composition, and I think composition is critical. So the cameras also have great controls. You can change the focus. You Many change, more controls. You can change the aperture, and of course, with a with a cell phone, you can't even change the aperture at all. So, so you're stuck with a, a very wide angle lens. But on a camera, you don't get you can't upload your pictures instantly. And share them immediately. And share them with immediately. Others. That's nice too. So I don't know. That's why I carry both. Yep. And I will continue to carry both. Having the cell phone in your pocket all the time is a great. A picture that doesn't have a camera is not any good. It's not any good to it's, anybody. It's only a picture in your mind. <laughs> exactly. But there are advantages to having both. And I think we carry both. And I think we will continue to do that. After you've taken your pictures, <sighs> new. AI features. Now you don't have to take pictures. Oh, this is unbelievable. And of course, one of the things that's happened, I've talked about the beta version of Photoshop having AI features built into it, and I showed some of those last time. And the new version of Photoshop, Photoshop 2024, full-blown version. It's not in beta, so they've incorporated these, uh, these AI features into the version of Photoshop. But... I have actually gone off into a, a new area. <laughs> We've looked at the Bing AI Image Maker. Bing, which of course is Microsoft, has this new image creator that is just spooky. So you type in a prompt and you get back a photographic quality picture. You got is, a few, didn't you? you oh, oh, four. oh, yeah. Oh, you got four right. versions yeah. of what 
of portraying what your words ask for. So if you take a look at our website, I typed in, and there's a picture there that you'll see, and this took me less than 30 seconds to make, and I said, can, using my name, sitting at a desk in an RV working on a blog. And the picture came back, and it, it really looks almost like me, even though... The AI had no idea who Ken was. Actually, all four of the pictures were men of your vintage, um, and the motorhomes they were sitting in looked a lot like our motorhome. I felt like Bing was spying on me when you showed me those pictures. It's just unreal, and the picture looks like a real person sitting in a computer Very acceptable. Working. I was blown away. The prompts you can put in are virtually endless. And in 30 seconds, you can have a picture of anything. Prompts are a skill that you need to learn if you want to do AI, not that I'm an expert, because you are likely to get a result that's more like what you want if you put in the right request in the first place. So that's something else to play around with um, as you are making images or writing essays without writing an essay, whatever it is you're doing. Um, I can, I've read that some universities are offering classes in prompt writing. Really? I can see where that's going to be a skill. Yeah. To get the right results. I mean, I did not put in man. I put in can. Yeah. This is going to change the world. Creepy. You know, people can make illustrations for anything they want. And I probably will continue to do that. And not only that, but it's free right now. I did at least three or four iterations of this, each time I get four images back, and you just go, this is a real switch in the way things work, and you (laughs) wonder. For a long time, I I thought stock photography was something that would be fairly lucrative. But with this... No way. No way. Some of the people had glasses, some of them didn't. This guy has white hair and glasses and wears an Apple Watch. Like you. I know. That's what's really shocking. Creepy. Crazy. Unbelievable. Another AI maker is an emoji maker. Now, I don't know much about emojis. I don't use emojis very much, but a lot of people like to have emojis, and they would like to have ones that are customized for their own use. And, of course, you can buy libraries of of emojis, but why not just make one of your own? That's perfect for you. This was much less successful from my point of view because the AI emoji maker which you can find the link to on our website, but just for your information, is E-M-O-J-I-S dot S-H. Anyway, that's the URL. It is a repository that generates emojis using artificial intelligence. It has generated over 158,000 emojis and counting. The tool allows users to download emojis based on various themes and categories. It provides a wide range of emojis, including funny, creative, and unique designs. Users can access and use these emojis for various purposes, such as social media, messaging, or any other form of communication. AI Emojis offers a diverse collection of emojis that can be add fun and expression to digital interactions. Well, I made one for the RV Navigator. Totally inappropriate. You didn't like it? No, not at all. Did What, what information? Because it didn't, didn't have an RV and it didn't have us. And, but I'm going to put one up of podcast, a man and a woman podcaster. What did, it, what did you tell it in your request? I said RV navigator, which are words that it should understand. And then I eventually started using 
MAPS vehicle or motorhome or and I, I what I was looking for is so a you, couple of people talking into a microphone with a so you needed uh, to give it more direction I gave it uh, 10 words which I thought was more than enough I'll put a, the one that I the it, best one up on the website and you had to make an good. account with it no there was no account uh-huh. so it, it really knew nothing about you no, no, knew nothing about me at all. Except for the camera and the microphone on your case. Well, I was typing in prompts. You know, yeah. I said I wanted two people doing a podcast, a man and a woman, and we turned out to be very young. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, the one you showed me, I was quite thin. I like that, too. Okay, that's, that's very positive. <laughs> so the last story this month is about the natural wonders of the world. And this has an AI... We component could, two, yes. Yeah. And this has an AI... Component could, two, yes. Yeah. To figure out which natural wonder came out on top, Titan Travel, a tour operator with vacation options around the globe, looked into the popularity of world-famous natural wonders by reviewing the proportion of excellent TripAdvisor reviews for each natural wonder and the proportion of terrible TripAdvisor reviews to keep things even. After crunching the numbers, the team revealed da, 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 da. Mount Kilimanjaro came out as the number one natural wonder with 92.68% excellent TripAdvisor reviews. So the most excellent travel, travel wonder in there. the world is Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, we've seen Mount Kilimanjaro from a distance. This is a problem. What? Because you haven't been there? Yeah. Well, get climbing. Tanzania's Mount Kilimanjaro takes the top spot. When it comes to TripAdvisor reviews, with a 92.7 rating, the mountain, excellent. The findings shared. The natural wonder is one of seven summits of the world, and unlike other peaks, is easily climbable. Its unique ecosystem also adds to the mountain's breathtaking scenery. So they've got the best reviews. Because there are a lot Why of very, there be a lot very of good nice, reviews? very tall mountains that yeah, are but very, you can't get to the, you can't very walk. hard to yeah, climb. Yeah, you Mount Kilimanjaro, anybody could, well... Almost anybody can walk. Many, most of the population. It's it's feasible without any climbing experience to walk to the top. The rest of the top ten highest sites via TripAdvisor included the Matterhorn in Switzerland, Angel Falls in Venezuela. And that's really hard to get to. Igasu Falls in Argentina and Brazil. They're right on the border. The Grand Canyon in the United States, Mount Roraima in Guiana, Brazil, and Venezuela. So that must be right on the border, too. We've not seen that. Mount Everest in China and Nepal. Perito Moreno Glacier in Argentina. Oh, we've been there. Arches National Park in the United States. And Victoria Falls in Zambia and Zimbabwe. So there's only two in the United States. Arches National Park? Yeah. And Grand Canyon. And the Grand Canyon. Wow. However, this wasn't the only data the team analyzed. It also looked at data from Instagram, including the number of posts using the hashtag NaturalWonder, TikTok accounting for the total number of views for TikTok posts using the same hashtag, and the total number of Google searches for each natural wonder from May 2022 to April of 2023. Along with that TripAdvisor data, they use that to determine the all-around winner of the world's best natural wonder. And when all of those total social media numbers were factored in, Arches National Park came out the winner. 
Of course, that's because the TripAdvisor reviews predominantly are in English. English. Well, they didn't say it had to be in English. But And people write reviews in other languages, but it's not used as much, I don't think, huh. by non-English speakers. Filled with over 2,000 natural stone arches, the aptly named Arches National Park in Utah, United States, can be crowned the most popular natural wonder, the findings reported. The natural park scores highly across the board, ranking in the top 10 for every factor. It scores well when it comes to social media, too, placing 8 in TikTok views and 61.7 million and 7th for high Instagram posts at just over 663,000. So we should also warn you, since we have been to Arches, that if you want to go there so you can join the teeming masses, you need reservations because there are teeming masses there. You need reservations just to get in. In the door. In the door. And many of these arches are very hard to photograph without people who are not your friends appearing in your pictures. Of course, now with AI, you can erase them again, right? Oh, we have a new version of the software which allows you to do that. That's You can take your own pictures and doctor them up and make them really look good. So if you haven't been to Arches, you should see it, but make a reservation. And if you'd like to take a look at this uh, article yourself, it's at Titan, T-I-T-A-N, travel, T-R-A-V-E-L, dot C-O dot U-K. Titan travel is one word. That's quite a month with lots of RVing stuff. We have actually been to Arches in the RV, but we've... And we camp nearby, but not actually in the park. Mm-hmm. So we will uh, turn it over to next month when we will be on the road once again. We will have started our cruise. So you will have been to Anchor Wat by then. <gasps> Anchor Wat, I can hardly we wait. expect a full report. Yes. If you've been to Anchor Wat, please give me a hint as to what I will be viewing while I'm there. But we do go to several other places. We're actually hitting some new places on this trip. We're going to Cambodia and Laos, which we've never been to. Vietnam and Thailand. And Vietnam and Thailand, which we have been to. But uh, this is the land portion of this trip is going to be quite exciting and uh, some new places. And we are packing for the very, very warm weather. Yeah, Singapore is 80 miles from the equator, so whenever you go there, it's hot. So that part of it makes the packing easier. We're not having to bring any long sleeve. Uh, unlike anything. Norway. So, dear listener, we hope that you'll stick with us. We always want to hear from you. So send us an email. We will be with you again in a month when we come back to from the land portion of our trip. No, we'll be on a cruise. Okay. We'll, we'll be, be on, on the we'll land be at sea. <laughs> We're confused. You know, when you have to fly 24 hours to get somewhere, um, you might as well stay there for a while, and that's what we're going to do. Sounds good. So we'll talk to you later, and uh, please feel free to send us an email at rvnavigator at macmac.com. Thank you. Happy travels. Hope to hear from you. Stay in touch. (laughs) 